Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Good to see you all. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Uh, today, I don't have my scriptures on the slides behind me, but if you have your Bibles, you can read along with me or on your smartphone, or uh, if you flag down an usher or someone, they'd probably bring you a Bible. But today, we are wrapping up kind of this season of Genesis, of New Beginnings, uh, in chapter 11. We're going to be in verse 1 through 9. We're taking a little pause for our Advent series. We'll go through some Christmas stuff, and then we'll pick up um, Genesis chapter 12, which kind of starts a whole new journey uh, in January. We've kind of been kind of big, wide-range picture in some ways, 1 through 11, and then we're going to hone in on one particular family Uh, starting in January. So let's read Genesis 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and there is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of coming together in in community and worship and to hear your word. Thank you for the book of Genesis, uh, this journey we've been on together. Lord, I pray that today your peace, your love, your joy would just fill our hearts, minds, and souls. God, I pray if there are things we're, we're holding on to, hurts, grievances, um, just anything in our lives that we need to give to you, God, that in this remaining time, we just give that over to you, and then we just receive freely from you your word, your peace, your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. Um, Well, today's service can be slightly different. I'm going to try my hardest to preach a shorter message. Uh, We'll see how I do. I know I love the instant laughter. We're going to see, because I asked some people at Mosaic to just share some testimonies of what God has done uh, in your life, kind of through Mosaic and and through the Christian fellowship here over the last year, because it's a good time, Sunday after Thanksgiving, to kind of pause and reflect, look backwards on all things God has done, and then as Advent starts, we look forward in anticipation of all that he's going to do, and we had a a lot of people responded with with testimonies, and so I'm going to invite some of our governing team up here in, in a little bit after I preach. Uh, Josh and Matt and Ryan was going to be up here, but he's not feeling the greatest and he lost his voice, so we're going to let him chill in his seat today. Um, but we just want to share some of these testimonies. Uh, I think it'll encourage your heart as encourage my heart as people just wrote those and sent them in this week. So that'll be at, at, after my message and before we close out 
But today, as I said, we're diving into Genesis chapter 11, and the story really changes after this as we look at the life of Abraham. But in this story, uh, we see how God came down and, and scattered the people. And up until this time, they kind of had, you know, one language. In a lot of ways, they're kind of one nation. But have you ever looked at a map or a globe and wondered, you know, how do we get all these different countries? How do we get all these different languages? According to Wycliffe uh, Bible Translators, there are 6,809 known languages in our world. That's a lot of languages. So how did we get here with all these languages, all these different cultures, all these countries? And Genesis 11 really answers that question. I've been fortunate in my life uh, to visit four different continents, and, and that's been such a gift to be around different languages, different cultures, see how people act and, and the, the differences and the similarities when you're in different parts of the world. And one of the things I've learned is that language is how we have intimacy and communication. Language is the framework we used to make sense of reality. When you're in a culture that you don't understand the language, it can be hard to have communication. It can be hard to have intimacy, to even have a good framework of reality. And so when you are traveling in another country and you're doing your best to try to speak your Spanish that you know or you know, Mandarin or whatever it might be, and then you encounter another American... And what happens? It's like, yes, like someone else who speaks my language, who understands this, and there's this kind of kinship. You know, I've experienced that, you know, in Rome and Argentina and Singapore and Malaysia and these different places. And it doesn't matter if you cheer for the same football team. You know, it doesn't matter if you vote for the same political party. There's something there about someone who speaks the same language as you, who understands the same kind of cultural background as you. There's just something that, that, that knits our hearts towards people who speak that same language because we are created for intimacy and connection. We are created for intimacy and connection. If you're taking notes, you can write that down this morning, that God created us in Genesis 1 on purpose for a purpose. And that purpose is intimacy and connection with our God, intimacy and connection with the world around us, nature, as well as intimacy and connection with people around us. The problem is sin comes into our world and wrecks that initial plan of God, and, and, and the earth is under curse. And now we're seeing kind of this play out where God's going to come down, he's going to scatter the people, scatter their languages. And now we live in a world that's broken, right? <laughs> we just look around, it's so easy to see all the brokenness in the world but our hearts long for intimacy and connection. So, so what is the answer here? How do we get here, and where are we going? That's what we're going to look at today. Genesis 11, verse 1, it says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. So the people, they get, you know, uh, after the flood, they're, they're spreading out, and they're moving eastward, and they settle in this area, Shinar, that's going to become the city of Babylon. And throughout the, of God's world, God's word, you see this contrast really between two cities. The city of Babylon, which is the city of man, and the city of Jerusalem, which is the city of God. And this really plays out in the book of Revelation, where it's actually not the earthly Jerusalem, but heaven is the city of God, the new Jerusalem that Jesus is building. And Revelation ends with God winning and heaven coming down, this new city coming down to earth. 
And so just kind of keep that in mind as you, as you read your Old Testament, uh, even the New Testament. There's a lot of play between these kind of two cities, kind of the city of man, which is represented by Babylon, uh, Rome, and, and the city of God. Verse 3, and they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. This is kind of new technology now. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. All right, is it a sin to build a city? No, cities are good. This is not a story telling us that cities or towers are bad. Who's writing down this story most likely? We've talked about this, right? First five books of the Bible, most likely we think most of it was written by Moses, highly educated by Egypt and the best schools at that time. And he wrote down most of the first five books, and there's been some editors who added things over the next couple hundred years. So you got to remember always, Moses, he's writing this. So when Genesis 1, when he's talking the creation story, what is he writing to? He's talking to slaves who've been led out of slavery and bondage. They've never been a people. That's why God gives them a law. They They don't have a constitution. They don't have these rules. So he's telling them how to live. Genesis 1, he's reminding them, hey, you know, as slaves, you were told by the Egyptians that you are nothing and that Pharaoh is God. But no, no, no. Everyone is created in the image of God. Everyone is created on purpose for a purpose. So Moses is reminding these slaves. So now he's telling them the story under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of, of, of hundreds of years, perhaps thousands of years, before God leading the, the Israelites out of slavery and bondage. And he's telling about this tower. What most likely a ziggurat uh, is what the historians tell us. And so what are these slaves who are led out of Egypt instantly thinking? The pyramids, right? The thing about these pyramids, these structures that Pharaoh, this man who thinks he's God, built for his name, for his honor, to elevate and have a place for the gods. So just remember, this is Moses writing this down to a certain people. That's like the, kind of the original audience, and now we are taking it and saying, okay, now, what, how does this translate to us today? So in the back of their minds, they're thinking of Egypt, thinking of the pyramids, of what they've, they've left. So in the story, we're seeing these people who are wanderers, so they're, they're settling down instead of spreading out. And they decide to work on this massive building project together. And this tower kind of raises some questions. Oftentimes, towers are used as a, as a place of defense in case an enemy attacks. You know, if the enemy takes the city, they still have to take the tower. You can lob rocks off the top of, of the tower, you know, onto people's heads, you know, to give some safety. Also, a tower can provide a piece of refuge in case of a flood. So it's possible these people remember the flood, and, and they're saying, hey, we're not sure we trust the promises of God, and so let's build a stronghold for ourselves so we don't have to trust in the promises of God that he did hang up his bow of war against us. And they're remembering that, so they want to be strong in their own power. Because they're struggling, they aren't trusting the promises of God. Well, God has three concerns for these people, and that's why he comes down to visit them. Number one, if you're taking notes, it's their pride. Number one, he's concerned about their pride. See, the tower is not the center of the story, just like the giraffe is not the center of the flood story that we talked about the last two weeks. You know what I'm talking about? Like in almost every single Noah's Ark toy or uh, mural, what's popping out of the top of the ark almost always? 
the giraffe, right? Well, I don't know why we painted that way in kids' rooms. It's always like the giraffe is poking out. Is the giraffe the most important part of the flood story? No, just because something is the tallest uh, uh, or the biggest doesn't mean it's the most important part of the story. See, God's unease is not just that they're building a tower or a city. It's, uh, it's on their assertion of independence. This parallels those in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve wanted to be independent of God and to know for themselves good and evil. Hey, we don't want to rely on God to tell us what is right and wrong. We want to know for ourselves. And so the serpent tempts Eve, saying, God is holding out on you. You need to take and grasp yourself. And so instead, they long for independence, and they take and eat, and then sin enters the world. Similar way, these people don't want to rely on God and his promises. They want to do it for themselves. They want to make their own name great. They're building the city, this tower, for their pride. See, our great privilege is not to make our names great, but to make great the name of Jesus. Amen? All hail King Jesus. That's why we come together. That's why it's so important to sing worship songs, not just about health, wealth, and prosperity, but to actually lift up the name of Jesus, King Jesus. Man, it's so important to remember. Like, the story of the Bible is not just that, you know, the Old Testament is just backstory that doesn't really matter, and Jesus came down on the cross for our sins so we can go to heaven. No, 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 no. The story of the Bible is that God created us. He picked out a family that became a nation. And through that one family, there's promised to be a king that's going to come. And he's going to rule and reign forever. And this king is a different kind of king because he dies for us in our place. But we're going to celebrate the rise of King Jesus. Amen? And, and so it's important to remember, we, we sing all hail King Jesus. We lift up his name, not our own. And so these people, though, they're, they're struggling with pride. They want to lift up their own names, not the name of God. Number two, God's concerned with their progress. So what's going to happen if they continue their progress? This is something that's really good to always look at your own life and say, okay, the trajectory of my life, how many hours am I working? Uh, you know, am I taking care of my personal health, my financial health, uh, my marriage, my kids? If this trajectory continued on, where am I going to end up in 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, right? That's always a really good idea to kind of put yourself, now on the Strength Finders, Strength Index, like Futuristic's one of my top five, so I get it. This is like natural for me, and for many of you, maybe not, but to make the exercise, say, okay, if things progress the way they are, is my marriage going to get better? Is my parenting going to get better? Am I going to get a closer relationship with Jesus? You know, kind of what is going to happen to my soul? Am I taking care of it? And so, in the same way, God is concerned. What's going to happen? All right, they build this one city, one tower. It's not the end of the world. But power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. See, these people aren't thinking of their kids and their grandkids and what's going to happen down the road. Eventually, they're going to build a city, and eventually they're going to run out of room within those walls. Not everyone is going to be able to be inside this one great city. What's going to happen? They're going to kick certain people out. You're going to have one all-powerful nation who can abuse, who can use their power to do whatever they want because there's just going to be some scattered people around them. And the strong is going to overpower and oppress the weak. That's really the concern here is if there's just one nation, one tower, one city who's strong, and then everyone else out is just weak, God is concerned that the strong is going to overpower and oppress the weak. So what is God doing? God is saving them from themselves. He's concerned about where this is going to lead. 
And so these builders construct this ziggurat so their false deity they believe in can come down into their midst. A lot of times they're building these, these towers that were a lot of times temples connected to them because they wanted to house their God. And so they'd say, okay, we're going to put kind of our God in a box and put him there. But they get way more than they bargained for. Instead of a false God being inside their tower, Yahweh, the one true living God, comes down, but he's displeased with them. Verse 5, but the Lord came to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. God comes down, three in one, fathers and spirit, scatters them and breaks their language because they're concerned about their pride, their progress, and their paganism. So what's going on here? All right. With the development of urbanization, people begin to envision gods in human terms. We see this throughout all different kind of ancient cultures. People were no longer trying to be like God in Genesis 3 and Eve, but more insidiously, they're trying to bring God down onto their level. And this went way beyond idolatry. It degraded the nature of God by portraying him as having needs. This is the heart of what we call paganism. We see this in multiple cultures. We're going to build this house uh, because the God needs a place to live. We're going to have to bring these sacrifices because the God needs food or, or uh, sacrifices of virgins or whatever the God needs. We're, we're pulling down God onto our level instead of God being the giver of all good gifts who exists exclusively uh, uh, you know, of himself, that he doesn't need anything or anyone. We're saying, no, 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 we're going to put the gods into our image. You see this in the ancient Sumerians and Babylonians and Greeks and, and Persians and Romans. At the core of this is the belief that gods have needs and then we as people can fulfill these needs. In the ancient world, worship and human response to gods in general are directed towards meeting those needs. That's why they would bring things into the temple. The gods need to be fed, clothed, and housed. They're pampered, patronized, and manipulated. The heart of paganism is not found in the perversity of all the rituals, but in the degradation of deity, of bringing God down to our level instead of saying, no, 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 God, you are far and away beyond what we could ask or imagine or even think. You are King Jesus, and there's no way we could ever reach you, but you came down to us. They're trying to put God in a box, simply. When the concept of God becomes as distorted as it has in Genesis 11, the only path to reclaim humanity is for God to reveal himself anew. And so God comes down to reveal himself. See, who would want to enter into a relationship like the ancient gods of the Near East, like, like Marduk or Ishtar or the Egyptian gods? They're capricious, they're, they're, uh, uh, they're angry, they, they hold grudges. But God, the one true God, Yahweh, is different. If you're taking notes and write this down, the first step on the path to redemption is revelation. The first step on the path to redemption is revelation. See, we are a people set, we are broken. Uh, we, we, we are or not in the kind of relationship that we need, and, and sin has come in and, and ruined things. So creation, curse, covenant. Covenant is God's answer to the problem of curse. But how do we go on this path of redemption? Well, the first step is revelation, and that's why God gave us his word. That's why I implore you, I ask you, spend time daily, weekly, as much as possible in God's word. This is his revelation. This is who God is. This is the story he's writing about how uh, humanity has been wrecked and ruined by curse, but God comes in and promises, no, 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 I'm coming to save you. And one is coming from this special family who becomes a nation who fails, but Jesus comes to fulfill everything that where they failed. 
And so revelation is that first step on that path towards redemption with God. But see, the problem is, by nature, all of us are caught up easily in the Babel syndrome of this paganism. See, we want to put God in a box. We want to say, hey, just pray the prayer of Jabez, and then God will do what you want. You know, all you have to do is claim it and claim it. When we do that, our paganism is showing. When we're trying to put God in some box and say that, you know, worship has to be a certain way. Worship can only be this way. God can't surely work in traditional churches. Or, you know, worship has to be this way, or you have to pray in in this way, or do this or that. Our paganism is showing. We're putting God in a box. See, God is so much bigger and greater than what we could ever imagine. Amen? And so we, we need to get past this of like, uh, of saying, no, no, there's certain things we have to do to get to God. No, no, no. God invites us just to come to him. And someone's prayer life may look totally different than you. Someone's Bible reading uh, journey, you know, someone may use the soap method. Someone else may just kind of, you know, uh, you know bounce around scripture. Whatever it might be, let's not judge each other. Let's not put God in a box saying this is the only way to come to him. Because when we do that, that's when our paganism is showing. And said, no, 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 God is so big. He's so great. He's so wonderful. I can't even understand it all. I'm going to strive to my whole life. I'm going to seek his revelation on this path of redemption, believing that he is King Jesus come to save us. And then uh, verse 8 through 9. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So God comes down like an author telling the character in his story to go in a different direction. He throws them a plot twist. And so now Genesis kind of pauses. And there's this like uh, time of waiting. What's going to happen next? Humanity has been scattered. It's been broken apart. Different languages, different cultures. And so there's this waiting. I think that's such a good place to pause here for us as we now enter the season of Advent. Advent is a season of waiting, of anticipation. And just like in the Old Testament where they're anticipating and waiting for the promised Messiah, we should have that same anticipation and longing in our hearts for Christmas. Christmas isn't just a time of shopping and Christmas movies. All that stuff is really, really good. But at the core, we should have this sense of longing, of hopefulness, of God, what is next? We look back and celebrate all that you've done, but now what is next? And so there's this waiting, uh, waiting for a new world, a word, a new call, but a new community. All of creation is waiting to see, is Abraham going to listen and trust? Is Sarah going to laugh? Is Isaac going to be born? Is there going to be another spreading abroad of that family? And, and, and after chapter 11, humanity enters this deep crisis of language. There's no hint of resolution here. The breaking of language at Babel is deep. Cultures are broken apart. Peoples are broken apart. There isn't a restoration of genuine speech and listening until the Holy Spirit is given in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit comes upon the church and the church is born, that is the great reversal of Babel. That now, although we may be born in different countries, and there are many of you who are born in different countries, different states, although we may come from different backgrounds, that through the Spirit, through the church, we can be united. Amen? And so what we see is, is the, the, the people in Babel here, the one to build a tower to be strong to their name. But what is God doing? God is building a whole different city. God is building his kingdom. And the book of Revelation tells us that new Jerusalem is going to come down. The city of God, its doors and gates will be open for everyone. 
And there'll be a high point in that city. That high point's not some tower to our own name. That high point is a throne with King Jesus on it, amen? And so, what is the difference? We, we, we long, we live in, in this tension between the two cities, the city of man and, and the city of brokenness and, and saying, no, this is my tribe and, and, and who are we against? I love how Bono says it, there is no them, there's only us. We are all children of God, amen? And so what we want to do is we want to strive to build the city of God, the kingdom of God, a tower to his name, not to our own pride, but say, God, this is all for you. We are building this for you. We're giving our lives to you. That's what this is all about. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.